Thanks for joining me here on the Bare Bones Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. My name is Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm a yoga teacher and educator, and my goal here is to provide you, the yoga teacher, with interesting, compelling content designed to pique your interest in teaching, help you grow as a teacher, and support you on your path to sharing this wonderful practice with your students. I've been teaching for over 14 years, and through my classes, workshops, online courses, books, and other content, I focus on the anatomy of yoga and how teachers can learn this complex subject and present it to their students in an understandable way, all designed to help them bring more impact to their teaching. Even though we're not in the same room, I want you to envision for each episode that we've sat down for tea in a cozy coffee shop. Some days we'll talk about technical teaching topics. Some days we might have a teacher friend join in on the conversation. And other days we'll face some of the personal challenges that can come up when we take on the journey of a yoga teacher, knowing that the more authentic we can be, the more we can impact others. For more information about my products and programs and to contact me at any time, please visit my website at barebonesyoga.com. Let's get into today's episode. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Barebone Yoga Podcast, Conversations for Yoga Teachers. This is episode 11, and today we're going to be talking about overcoming challenges. This is definitely a topic we can all relate to, and my guest has a unique perspective on this topic. She works with people with physical disabilities, coaching them in a really tough sport crew. So let me start out by saying this. Um, This guest who I'm going to introduce to you in a moment is actually part of my special wellness event coming up in January called the Bare Bones Yoga Urban Wellness Weekend. And if you listened to episode 10, where I had the founder and COO of Plank Designs, they, I also mentioned, are going to be at the event doing a vendor demo. So my guest today is actually a speaker in the speaker panel, which is on day two, Sunday. So this is January um, 12th and 13th. And I want to just quickly just tell you a couple things about the event. So the event is a two-day opportunity for you to do a number of things, to practice yoga, meditation, learn about myofascial release, which is a really good self-care technique to relieve tension from your muscles. You'll hear from expert speakers on different aspects of wellness. You'll eat healthy food. You'll hear inspiring stories from the speaker panel and a lot more. It really is a life-changing lineup that's meant to shift your ways of thinking to positive ways and give you real information, not just the fluff stuff about how to improve your health. So the event is January 12th and 13th in Cambridge, Massachusetts, right here. I'm in Boston, so it's right across the river. And to sign up, all you need to do is go to my website, barebonesyoga.com, and it's right there on the homepage. But I want to tell you, because you're listening to this podcast, you're going to get a $25 discount off of the registration fee. And right now, we're still in early bird pricing until December 15th. So rather than sign up on that link, just email me. My email address is karen at barebonesyoga.com before you sign up, and I'm going to send you a special link to pay so that you get that discount. 
but you can check out the whole event lineup on my website. Right on the homepage, you'll see the big banner about the event, and you can click the link, read about it, and I'm sure once you read about it, you're going to say, this is definitely something I want to go to, so then just send me that email. Right there on the website, I've got a contact me page, and I'll send you the special link to pay where you'll get that $25 discount. So let's get to the next step, which is introducing my guest today, Jenny Schischel. So Jennifer is an American coxswain. She's competed at the 2016 Summer Paralympic Games in Rio de Janeiro. She won three silver medals from the World Rowing Championships and a silver medal from the 2016 Paralympic Games. She's a Royal Canadian Henley Regatta Champion, a five-time Head of the Charles Regatta Champion, and a three-time U.S. National Champion. She is also the coordinator for the Youth Para Rowing, which is adaptive, an adaptive rowing program department at Community Rowing, which is a nonprofit here in Boston. So before we get into the conversation with Jenny, I want to just stop for a moment and just give you a little, um, not really a metaphor, but a little just visualization to think about. I want you to think about something you really want to do, but you've got an obstacle in the way. It could be a mental block, a fear. It could be a physical challenge. Maybe you don't think you're strong enough or have maybe the endurance to do something on a physical level, let's say. A story that you might hear now and again is that of someone who maybe wants to run a marathon and they've never you know, done that kind of thing before. They might have both mental fears and physical obstacles that get in their way. So the question is, how do you handle challenge? That's in large part what we're going to touch on today. So at this point, I want to dive into the Q&A, and so first, I want to say welcome to Jenny. So hi, Jenny. Hi, Karen. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So give our listeners a sense of where you're physically located. Are you here in Boston where I am? So yes, I am here in Boston. I'm from New Jersey originally, but moved to Boston about five years ago. Okay, great. And that is something we share because I'm from New Jersey as well. So that's <laughs> funny common links that, that we both share. So as I touched on in the intro, uh, this idea of facing challenge. And I remember I was thinking back as I was preparing to talk to you. And I remember when we met, you were telling me this really cool story of when you were kind of at a fork in a road in terms of your own training and you were having a conversation about kind of being at that fork in a row in the road and you were having this conversation with some rowers that you work with or mm -hmm. with, and they happened to be blind and they could hear in your voice because they couldn't see you um just kind of the emotion behind what you were talking about. So before you dive into that, because I think that's such a cool story, just give, I gave your intro, but just give people a sense of kind of the backdrop for that day. Yeah. So uh, I started rowing in college and made my first national team in 2010. It's always been a dream of mine to go to the Olympics or Paralympics. And in 2012, I got that opportunity to try out for the team, ended up not making the team, and fell into a pretty big depression to the point where I didn't know what I was going to do next. So you weren't sure if you were going to compete anymore? Correct. I didn't know if I was going to continue training, if I still wanted to even do rowing, mm -hmm. or if I wanted to move on with my life and use my degree in mathematics for 
something else out in the world. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me then what happened in terms of this particular exchange with these people. So I was in this depression for about two months and went to the local Boston regatta here called Head of the Charles Regatta. That's right. Yeah. And I met up with two of my rowers who are totally blind. So I start engaging in conversation with them and they say, Jenny, stop. And this was right at the point when I was talking about high performance training. They go, Jenny, stop. And I go, what? And they say, we can hear you smiling. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I am smiling. I, I didn't even know that I had a smile on my face as I was talking to them about this. And it was that moment when I couldn't tell, but two totally blind people could tell mm -hmm. that I realized I wanted to continue facing my challenges in rowing and really working through them. Mm -hmm. And so that must have been interesting because I know for myself, when I'm in a funk, I kind of lose that contact with even what it feels like to be smiling and that they recognize that in you, not even seeing you, but yeah. just hearing the enthusiasm in your voice is pretty telling. Yeah, I think that when I really realized that I was smiling and it wasn't as if someone was looking at me and said, Jenny, I see that smile on your face. It was Jenny, I can hear it in your voice, which means it's really deep down inside of me that I have this passion for high performance training and rowing. Right. And this is really what I want to commit to right now. Right. Right. So tell um, our listeners, and I didn't actually write this question, but I think it'd be helpful for them, especially if they don't understand a lot about rowing. I taught mm -hmm. rowers, um, not rowing, but yoga um, and living in Boston. I think even if you don't row, you get a sense of it because it is popular here because we've got the Charles River. But tell people a little bit about when I introduced you as a coxswain, like what does that mean? And tell them a little bit about kind of your day. You're doing training with people, you're training yourself. So tell us about those things. Yeah. So let me start off first with what a coxswain is. In the boat, you have the rowers who are the physical power behind making the boat move. And then you have the coxswain or shortened to coxswain. Yeah. And so what I do is three main things. So the first thing is I'm the in the boat coach. And I can feel what's going on in the boat, whether it be behind me or in front of me, depending on what boat size I'm in. And then uh, I uh, give that information and feedback to the rowers as to what they can change to make the boat move better. So basically what a coach is doing, except rather than seeing them, I feel everything that they're doing. So that's number one. You feel them because you're not looking at them. Correct in the four-person boat and in the eight-person boat as well, you see a little more, but you still don't get to see exactly what the rowers are doing. Because you're facing ahead. Yeah, so in the four-person boat, the rowers are actually all behind me. Right. So I'm in the front of the boat, and I'm going the, looking the same direction that the boat is moving. Got it. And in the eight-person boat, while it's the complete opposite where all the rowers are in front of me rather than behind me, uh -huh. they're all in a straight line directly in front of me. 
So right. I can only see one of the rowers. Right. And there's still seven other rowers behind them that I can't see. And so I have to feel what the boat is doing Got in it. order to be that coach. So it's kind of interesting, especially because a lot of my listeners are yoga teachers. Yeah. This idea of, you know, our whole job is giving physical cues. Yes. Sometimes speaking to spirit in a way. Yeah. And motivating people. Yeah. What we say. And I never actually realized that that is really your job too. That's exactly what coaching is in the boat is I have to be able to manipulate people's movements and uh, body positions solely by using the words that right. come out of my mouth. Interesting. So I'm going to take just a little sidestep here because I think this is definitely something that would be interesting to my listeners who are teachers, yoga teachers. So if you had to encapsulate some of the techniques you use around giving physical information, what kinds of things, like if you were to train another coxswain, yeah. what kinds of things might you say to that person in terms of how to give instruction? I would say two main things. The first thing is I always think about it as if I'm in the rower's position. Okay. So as if I'm the rower. Right. And uh, what would I say to myself to get my finger to move up and down or my leg to move in a certain way? Got it. And uh, so I then use that detail that I have to tell myself, bring your heel closer to your thigh, something of that nature, right. to uh, really give the rowers that sense of overall body motion and movement and what I want them to be doing. Got it. So that's number one. Number two is making sure that I know every single one of my athletes really well, both inside and out. So uh, what drives them every day, not just rowing, but maybe some of them like to knit. Maybe some of them like to play cards. Maybe someone's a math major. Maybe someone's an English major. And so taking that knowledge and information, and when I give them instruction, using that information that I know to put it into words that relate more to them and yeah. that they're going to be able to relate more to themselves. Right, right. And that's something that we don't as teachers know in our open classes. I yeah. Guess. Certainly oh, yeah. To the level. Although the first thing you said is completely transferable yeah. to teaching because you have to, I mean, one technique is to teach from your own experience yep. as a practitioner. Yep. And I think that that is definitely a common coaching, even if yeah. you think of what we're doing, we teach yeah. coaching people. Um, okay. So, all right. So now that we took that little side bar um so okay so so that's what you're doing you're in the boat you're I coach two work. other things oh yeah go ahead so I coach I motivate mm -hmm. I'm the in the boat motivation so when they're hitting uh, the wall or going into the pain cave as we like to call it because you go into that during rowing a lot mm -hmm. and when they go into that I have to be the one to sort of help push them through Mm -hmm. And so in order to do that, I give them a lot of information as to what's going on around them, mm -hmm. especially during the race. 
to me, information is motivation. So what kinds of information? So it could be potentially where other crews are. Uh. So if a crew is neck and neck with us, my rowers have to know that because they have to realize and understand that every ounce of energy they give helps push them ahead of that crew, even if it's one inch mm -hmm. ahead of that crew. So it could be that. It could be where in the race we are. Mm. There's a huge difference between being 1,500 meters into a 2,000 meter race and being 100 meters into a 2,000 meter race. Yeah. Just totally different. And so really giving them that information about what's around them, what the game plan is for the race. I have to tell them uh, when uh, they have to execute different moves or different pushes during the race. Mm -hmm. So that's the type of motivation that I give. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing that I do is I actually steer. So there's a little tiny rudder underneath the boat. Mm -hmm. And I have a cable up on top of the boat in my seat. And I have to, weirdly enough, steer to go in a straight line. Mm -hmm. so. so you actually have a direct impact on where they're going in, in coordination with them. Correct. Hmm, I did not know that. Okay. Yes, because if you think about it, at least in the boat that I'm in, I'm usually in a four-person boat, but even in an eight-person boat, you have four or eight different oars doing something slightly different than one another. It's near impossible to get exact perfection with it as it is with anything. Right. And so uh, what I have to do is I have to make up for that imperfection by steering little tiny adjustments as we go down the race course in order to keep the boat going straight. Got it and the shortest distance between point A and point B. Got it, okay. So, so now can you, so that is a little bit about your role when you're um, participating. Yes, in coaching. correct. So then tell, um, tell us about your work and, and those athletes in those experiences, they are, um, athletes that have physical challenges of different kinds. Yeah. So physical challenges or visual impairments. Got it. Okay. So then tell us about the coaching part with community rowing that I was talking about. Cause that, cause the, in the boat parts, probably competing, that's like one piece. And then there's yeah. a whole coaching piece. So there are a couple of pieces to the coaching piece. One of them relates directly to in the boat, which is my on land training with the athletes that it takes place over the winter, especially when the Charles river is frozen over. <laughs> and so that's a lot of the coaching that I do is for these athletes on land when I really actually get to see what their bodies are doing Yeah, and give them feedback, give them instruction as to how I want their bodies to move and how much pressure they need to give what their numbers on the rowing machine are saying, so how fast they're going. Mm -hmm. So that's one part of it. And then the other part is I do uh, coaching for re more recreational groups, adaptive groups, additionally. Mm -hmm. And so I, especially right now, am working in the Boston Public School System mm -hmm. in adaptive physical education classes. Mm -hmm. And we bring rowing machines into these gym classes 
and uh, let these kids that have maybe never worked out in their life because they have some type of physical limitation or disability, mm-hmm. let them get on one of these rowing machines yeah. and go ham on them and have fun and really enjoy themselves. Right. Right. Interesting. Um, you know, in our last podcast where I had the folks from Plank Designs on, the, the woman who is the founder of the company, and again, they're going to be at our event. They design yoga mats that are um, special in that the surface gives feedback to the user. Mm-hmm. Talking about that, but the founder has a daughter who has mild cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. And so she's always looking for different physical cueing techniques that she can use with her daughter. Oh, and yeah. She was talking about a workshop she went to where the yoga teacher, his name is Matthew Sanford, and he's a paraplegic, I believe. From, okay. Yeah, from a young age. Mm-hmm. He was physically cueing another person in the workshop who was wheelchair bound and was giving her instruction about pressing into the pedals of her wheelchair yeah. to give herself better posture. And the yeah. words he was using, Doreen said, created such a shift in this person. Yeah. And her reaction to being able to physically right herself in the chair was really super powerful for her because oh, she yeah. was used to slumping. And so I was just thinking as you were talking about that idea of pressing your feet into the rowing machine. Yeah. Give yourself that rebound effect and how that is similar to creating foundation through your feet in yoga practice. Absolutely. And when you start to add on to that, working with someone with a physical challenge, how all of your cues are going to kind of bring them into their feet, which is such a common theme in yoga. I never connections there. Oh yeah. So is that part, tell us about some of the physical challenges that people have. It really varies with who I work with at the boathouse. And it can be uh, someone uh, like a paraplegic Mm -hmm. who uh, is no use of their legs, who has no use of their legs, Mm -hmm. and very little, if any, core stability. Mm -hmm. It can be uh, someone that has a club foot Mm -hmm. and uh, maybe can't run for a workout, so they come in and they row for a workout. Got it. It can be someone that has herbs palsy. I'm not so, familiar with what is that? So, it's a type of palsy where you cannot use one your one of your arms because okay. of nerve damage when you're born. Got that it. occurs when you're born. It's upper extremity related. Upper extremity related, correct. It's nerve damage in your shoulder from what I understand. Got it. Okay. Okay, interesting. So, in all these scenarios, Mm-hmm. have different adaptive equipment that allows them if they need it or they Correct. you have techniques to help them yep and them. we work with everybody too because no uh, person is alike right and so if someone we let's say we have a fixed seat which is a non-movable seat right we give that to someone and doesn't quite work for them. We have to absolutely be creative and think on the fly and say, this is what we have at the boathouse. How can we use this 
to get them to do said motion. Right, right. Yeah, that's, again, the parallels, you know, with, mm -hmm. with is, you know, how can you work with someone who has some kind of physical limitation that might not be at the level of a recognized disability, but they maybe need a lot of modifications. Maybe yeah. they have carpal tunnel and they can't put weight on their hands for more. Yep. So, um, so, okay. Yeah, this is, this is definitely, I didn't realize all the perils. So <laughs> tell me, um, what are some of the themes that come up when you're working with people? anything along the lines of like mental blocks or, or, and how are you getting around that? Oh yeah. <laughs> you said mental blocks and I'm like right there. Yeah. Um, but basically in rowing, any individual encounters some type of challenge when they row. Yeah. Whether this be a physical disability or a mental block when you're going through a rowing test. Right you encounter this wall that I'm talking about and uh, some people don't necessarily know how to push through it. Yeah. Or you get anxiety when you approach a rowing machine because you know that it's going to be really difficult what you're about to do. Right. Physically difficult. And so what you have to do, especially me as a coach is give them little tiny baby steps to work through it. Mm -hmm. And so then they gain the confidence and they gain get into the rhythm and more so understand that they can accomplish whatever they need to. And they don't have to necessarily be anxious when they come up to a rowing machine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I think one of the disadvantages that we have as teachers is unless we're working with someone one-on-one, -on -one, they're not saying anything as we're quote unquote coaching them through the, the practice, the class, Correct. whatever it is, the workshop. Um, well, workshops are a little different because obviously they're a lot looser. Uh, there is conversation. But in the general presentation of yoga that most of us do in group classes, we're standing there, we're giving the cues, they're not saying anything. And so we often are left to kind of try to read people's minds in terms of are they facing some challenges? Are they frustrated? Are they bored? Are they thinking this is too hard, too easy? Yeah. It's a bad decision for me to come to this class. So... But in your context, of course, you're getting the feedback, but do any of those themes come up with your, with your, I don't know what you call them, students or, or yeah, athletes, athletes, your athletes, where any of those things, how do you get around some of those things with your athletes to keep them on track? So we do have athletes that are nonverbal. Ah. Who might have autism, severe autism and be nonverbal with it. Wow. And so what we have to get really good at is reading body language. Wow. wow. And knowing cues that we see with them that might be triggers or might be them trying to tell us, hey, this isn't going right for me. Right. One thing that's easier with us that you may or may not have in yoga is we have a feedback system on the actual monitor itself of the rowing machine and based on that feedback I can see if someone is getting extremely tired and this workout is too hard because you see an actual number increase yeah yeah I mean I think for us we just have 
what we see in the student's body. If we, yeah. see, if we see the face is red, the breathing is really labored, the sweating is profuse. Like those are definitely signs for us. Absolutely. The person is hitting the wall. Absolutely. And I also think that what we do is if someone, especially if we're in the weight room potentially and doing some type of core exercise or lifting and we say, this might be too easy. This looks too easy for you. You're hitting all of these things, no problem, holding a plank for however long. Yeah. Let's add in the next level of this exercise. Mm -hmm. And let's work this a little bit. And then you see maybe their arms will start shaking on plank right. or that physical feedback that you get from the athlete. Right, right. Yeah, and that again, you know, the visual is so yeah. to, to be looking and that's, I think for, for teachers, it's just re-emphasizing how important it is that you're not practicing, that you're not mm -hmm. that you're looking at the class and adjusting oh, yeah. things on the fly based on what you see. I mean, even in rowing, I will not get on a rowing machine with the rowers right? unless it's a crazy long workout and they don't need coaching the entire time. Yeah, yeah. But if I need to be there coaching, I am not going to be on the rowing machine with them unless also I want them to see what I'm doing and get that picture in their head of what they should be doing. Right, right. In which case I'll go up to them and I'll say, oh, here, watch me on this rowing machine. Right. This is what I want you to be doing. Right. And then you'll get off. And, and then I'll get off and go back and coach them again. Yeah. And that is, again, we might demo something briefly. Yeah. Um, so... I know that you work with people who have such a, a wide range of, of physical challenges. Um, just in general, I mean, how are these athletes moving forward despite these challenges? The same way any other athlete would move forward despite any challenges. Mm -hmm. These people are absolutely motivated and with a little creativity yeah. from both the athlete and the coach they are able to overcome most of the things put in front of them. Yep. Just like you have someone without a disability. Right. They face challenges in everyday life as well. Right. They uh, may be out of shape and facing that challenge of getting back into shape. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with someone with a physical disability in their challenge happens to be they're missing one leg and they have to figure out how to get all the way up in the rowing stroke. Right. So it's the same thing that you would do with any other individual, any other human being yeah. working through the challenge with them. Mm -hmm. Do you work with people, um, some people who maybe rode prior to a traumatic injury mm -hmm. and then other people who never rode and they're learning how to row with oh, yeah. the challenge for the first time. So uh, an interesting story about that is I actually coached a younger gentleman when I lived in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And I come up to Boston. I start working in the para rowing department at the Boathouse Community Rowing. And all of a sudden, I see this kid's name on my adaptive list. Turns out he was 18 years old, something around that age and he had a stroke at a regatta oh next thing you know he's an adaptive athlete 
who knew how to row. I had taught him how to row prior to his injury. And then all of a sudden he comes back on and it's as if I'm reteaching him how to row, but still keeping that same enthusiasm, still keeping that same motivation. You know, this time, that time his challenge was learning how to row. This time his challenge is learning how to row with an arm that doesn't work as well. Wow. So he had a stroke as a teenager. Correct. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's amazing seeing this though, because he does realize that he's not at that level that he was at prior to his stroke, mm-hmm. but there's no reason he can't get to that level physiologically or mentally even. Right. You know, I was listening to, this is again, something I'm just thinking of in the moment. I was listening mm-hmm. to a Tony Robbins podcast the other day while at the gym, mind you, and <laughs> talking to this woman who was the world triathlete champion twice. I, I want to remember her name. I, it was like, it's like Suri something. Oh, she's a tiny blonde woman and she was competing. She had no prior experience as a triathlete and she ended up going on to win. I think the highest level is like the world's or something. Yeah. And so she was relating this story of when she worked with this world renowned coach to try to really get her in tip top shape. And it got, and the story she related was in my listening to it, it, it was really unbelievably difficult training from a physical level because of course the triathletes do the running the swimming, oh, yeah. and the biking so there were all sorts of different things that he was having them do in all those three areas and when you were talking before about I think what did you call it the wall of pain or something like that? yeah when you hit a wall or the pain cave the pain cave that was what it was <laughs> it made me think of that and of course in yoga practice we're not really going to that physical level no but I think that of course things are all relative and I've certainly in my teaching looked at beginners sometimes even guys who I know have probably been in the gym their whole life and they're coming into my class and they really look like they are trying to apply the same techniques that they use in the gym to yoga and instead it's just resulting in them being like completely exhausted and they're not getting the results that they want. Mm-hmm. So I guess I was just wondering if you could speak a little bit to, you know, even from your own experience as an athlete, what do you do when you're in that space? When like, maybe if you have a story about when you've been competing and you feel yourself hitting that wall, what are, what was the scenario and what did you do to get out of it? I would say that when I was competing as a rower, what you, what I would do is I would think of every other person that was in the boat with me. Uh And I would think about how much training I put in to get there and that I really wanted to win this race or get this personal best time. Right. And how far I had come and that would sort of push me through the two or three minutes of pain that I needed to endure to get this end result. Right. What's interesting though is as a coxswain, I hit that mental block also. Mm -hmm. 
in the sense that there are times when I will be sitting in a boat and go into that space where my mind goes blank or I feel like I'm pushing every ounce of energy I have to try to figure out something or to try to figure out that feeling that I'm getting in the boat and what I'm saying isn't quite working. So what do I do now? Maybe uh, my body position in the boat is off to one side, which is why the boat keeps going down to that side. Or maybe I just need to take a step back and say, this is how the situation is looking. How do I get past that? Right. And I think in yoga, at least from what I know about yoga, one thing that I do is, like I said before, take that step back, reassess the situation, and say, how can I finish this to the step that I want or to the level that I want it to be at? Right, right. Okay. Yeah, and I think that um, that's part of what, as teachers, we're trying to kind of coach our students to see. Yeah. You know, it's all relative depending on who you are. And yeah, of course, there's not the aspect of competition. Although I think as teachers, sometimes people come into class and you kind of can feel that they're bringing that competitive spirit, mm -hmm. um, you know, almost like trying to push themselves beyond what they're ready for. Yeah. Moment. And so, yeah you know, kind of the energy behind what they're doing, you can just see by looking at them, that's the energy they're bring, bringing. Oh, yeah. There's kind of that line between what you're talking about, which is self-motivation, and then going over the line where it can be harmful to your body. Yeah. Pushing yourself. Oh, yeah. Some other reason, you know, maybe you've got these negative thoughts. Um, I need to lose weight. I need to yep. be flexible. I need to look like these other people in the class who I have some kind of comparison game with them. So for me, especially when I need to motivate myself or when I need to rethink something, it has to be in a positive light. Yeah. It has to be some type of positive rethinking, some type of positive motivation that I'm trying for something. I've done this. I want to keep going through this. Yeah. I've worked really hard to get to where I am today. So I'm going to keep going through it. Not necessarily a negative thought, such as I'm going to cream the people next to me and I want to break all my bones in order to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't really work for me. Right. Right. Um, so I can remember, and I think I mentioned at the beginning, um, and I know we've talked about this, but just for the listeners. So I had a number of years where I taught yoga at the place where you train, train yeah. athletes, community rowing. And I remember there was one group class, which was a number of kids from a college. Mm -hmm. and one of the rowers had a robotic arm of some kind. Mm -hmm. I don't remember if it was below the elbow. I think it might've been the whole arm. And he just started practicing as if there was, and no one like came up to me beforehand and said, Hey, by the way, this is Jimmy. And this is his scenario, which obviously yeah. he just went with it. Yeah. Is there, and I was in that experience. I was so touched and so just impressed. Impressed isn't even the right word. It was just so inspirational to see this person 
just going along and doing it without a complaint, without a, hey, I need a special, whatever. It was just the way, the way he was just going right along. Do you have, this is the last question I'll, I'll ask you. Do you have any nugget of a story or anything that stands out in your mind like that? I think that one of, and I was thinking about this a little bit, but one of the best stories that I have is I was coaching this girls only crew that was of high school age girls who have some type of individualized education plan with their high school. And so they would come to the boathouse during the day and I would coach them. They were in some type of special ed class, maybe it had a learning disability, but about eight of them in the group. And one of them in particular was just too cool for school, not having any of it. Hmm. And, you know, the first day she just kind of moped around and like, yeah, okay, great. Second time she came, it was about the same. She started crying at one point. And this class progressed for about 17 weeks. And she would not participate for at least the first, like, I don't know, 10, 15 weeks. She was just, okay, maybe I'll do this. Okay, I guess. And over the course of the 17 weeks, though, I was really able to build her trust. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the 17th week, we had a little party for everybody. And this girl came up to me and she had never spoken really the entire 17 weeks says to me, thank you. I love you. Oh my Just, God. I was like, Oh my God, mind blown. This kid really trusts me. Wow. And the fact that I can give her that sort of stability really means a lot to me as a person. Mm -hmm. So I would say that was the one thing that made me realize there's always something that you can tap into in people. Right. And as a coach, that's something that we absolutely have to look out for. There's always a reason why people are the way they are. And so with this girl, who knows what her background is? Who knows what kind of traumatic experiences she's had right. where she stopped trusting people? Right. But it was that sort of ability to gain her understanding. Yeah. And her love for some, like, I yeah. felt like a big sister right there. Yeah. And it was just, it was really neat and really special. And I mean, that can happen with anyone. Yeah. I think, too, what it, it, the way I can relate it to yoga teaching is that we oftentimes, I think, as teachers can make assumptions about people based on how they are in class. Absolutely. And the way you describe, like, oh, if someone doesn't really look like they're participating, they look like they're kind of lackadaisical, you may make some assumptions as a teacher mm -hmm. and be like, well, this person keeps coming back to class, but yet this is my perception of them based on what I'm seeing. If I have an opportunity to chat with them and they don't really engage with me, I'm still kind of in the dark, but then maybe 
the person comes up at the end of a couple of months and says, I really like your class. And you go home and you're just thinking, oh my God, I'm so blown away. Yeah. Something completely different. Absolutely. You really, as a coach, and that's what this made me realize is you can't necessarily judge somebody by what you're seeing. Right. You don't know what's going on in their head. You don't know what their background is. They are behaving or moving that way for certain reasons. And it could be somebody with a prosthetic arm. Right. But they have exactly the same mindset as anyone else. Right. Right. You know, they're an athlete just like anyone else is an athlete. Right. I think, too, what it says to me is as teachers, as coaches, it's so important that we stay the course. Mm-hmm. We, have to do, we know, you know, kind of how to present things and we have to kind of stay on that track, even, you know, of course, adjusting things as we're looking out at the room, as we're working with, in your case, the athletes, but um, to really kind of stay on, on, to have faith that the process works. Yeah. It can be really scary sometimes too, yeah, because as a coxswain also, you don't necessarily get feedback. Right. You don't necessarily see changes right away. And it's all about staying the course and believing in what you're doing. Right, right. And then when you do get criticism or critiques, changing it up slightly, but also right. when you see good things happening, right. any type of good things, realizing, okay, I need to continue with what I'm doing. Right. Even right. if it's a little tiny nugget. Yeah, that's great. That's great. No, I think... Again, heading into this, I didn't realize how many similarities there were, but I think there are really mm-hmm. common themes between coaching and teaching. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that definitely makes I didn't it- realize it either until talking with you, and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it makes it even more applicable for, you know, for this conversation, especially because most of the listeners of the podcast are yoga teachers. Mm-hmm. So we have reached the end of our little conversation here. And I want to thank you so much for giving us kind of a window into your world. It's certainly a world that I don't have, you know, experience in. And so it's been really cool to hear you talk about being in the boat and your coaching experience. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Sure. And I want to just remind people, um, we want to hear from you. So as you're listening to this podcast, please leave a comment and let us know uh, what you think about it. If you have any questions for Jenny, uh, just, just jot them down. You can comment on the webs on my website, barebonesyoga.com. If you're listening on iTunes, you can leave a review there as well. And then don't forget that you can meet her at my event, the bare bones yoga urban wellness weekend, which is happening in Cambridge, January 12th and 13th. And I mentioned in the beginning, I'll just mention it again. You're going to get $25 off registration. So when you check out the event and all the details, all of what's being offered on my website, right on the homepage, you'll see the link to the event. Don't sign up via that link because I want to give you a special link to pay, which will give you this $25 off. So thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Jenny. I will see you soon, if not before our event in January. Perfect. See you soon. All right. Have a great night. Thanks. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.